Hello, everyone, and welcome to Worth Vibe, a brand new interview series for and about sustainability and wellness. My name is Alia Morrow, former creative director turned ecopreneur. Each week, I'll be inviting inspiring guests, scientists, fashion designers, writers, speakers, environmental activists to learn, educate, and provide necessary conversations to better ourselves and the planet. Find us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe and follow us today so you don't miss an episode. Hello, welcome back to Worth Vibe. Today, I am pleased to welcome Graham Hill. Environmental is the face of the Carbon Arts, founder of Treehugger.com and a TEDx presenter. Let's crack on. Hello, Graham. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. And thanks so much for spending this morning with me. How are you today? I'm doing great. A little bit overcast, but really excited to, I'm a real entrepreneur. I love to work. And so uh, there's some exciting stuff going on. So uh, life is good. Fantastic. So tell me, do you have any morning routine or uh, you know, rituals that you follow in the mornings? Uh, I do, in fact. <laughs> been meditating for quite a while and it's an important part of my day. So I've found that the only way to really ensure that I get it done, well, two things. One, use something that records it. I have a record that I don't want to break. And two, do it immediately in the morning. So I get up, and then get back into bed and meditate and so I've just I'm only doing 10 minutes these days I should be doing more but I'm still getting it done so yeah I do that and then listen to a little news while I make my bed and then make some coffee and get to work well that sounds like a ideal um, start to the day I actually try to do like a 20 minute practice in the morning and 20 minute meditation in the afternoon so just depends on the day but I think it just sort of helps start your day Right. So, Graham, tell me a little bit about your younger years. Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So, I'm an undercover Canadian, I guess now officially American. Been down here about half my life, but I grew up uh, in the country about an hour from Montreal in Quebec. And I had hippie-ish parents, back to the landers kind of thing. So I went to a variety of schools, some run by parents, very small, like four people in my class. And French school and English school and private school for a bit. And then a year in Germany on exchange. And so I did a lot of different things. I ended up in architecture school, which I uh, still have, I'm very fond of. I did a five-year architecture degree at Carleton in Ottawa. And then uh, I studied product design. I didn't realize that product design even existed. It wasn't as much of a thing back then. And so I studied a couple of years of that in Emily Carr in Vancouver. So I'm I'm sort of spiritually, I would say, from the West Coast. A lot of my family's there. I lived in Whistler for a number of summers. and I just love it. My brother, a bunch of family are in Revelstoke, BC. If you want to sort of give you the quick overview from there, I ended up, uh, fell in love with the internet, 93, 94, moved to Seattle and started a company with my cousin Tish Hill, one of the first companies building websites. And uh, we were very early, did some good work for Microsoft and ended up building a 60-person company over a few years and sold it to a New York firm. So it was all very groundbreaking and exciting. And yeah, it was really cool. That brought me to New York City. And then in New York, I had luxury of having made some money and being able to be a little bit more choosy about what I wanted to do. And I just loved environmental work. And so I just started to do that. I worked on a plant-based air filter 
for a year or so. Didn't get to where I wanted it to, but that really got me into green. And then I had an idea for a tree hugger. I was very frustrated by the state of environmental media at that point in time. This wasn't very good. It wasn't designed forward. It was negative. It was stop this, stop that, inspired by fear. So in 2004, I launched treehugger.com, which was really, a, it's hard to look at it now, but if you were around then, you'd get it. it. It was very new. It was really revolutionary. It was a totally different take on things. And we were very aggressive. And so we uh, very quickly came to be the biggest green site on the web and held on to that for a number of years. Ended up selling to Discovery and doing some work for them. And then I realized this is a long way past my childhood. And uh, then I ended up doing small living for a, a period under something called Life Edited. I gave a TED talk on that, which did pretty well. And uh, that brings us to the Carbonauts. So I'll, I'll let you do some questioning. Fantastic. Well, what brought you or what made you care about environment or sustainability? Well, I think your parents are a really big part of things often. Certainly were for me. And so they are very much pioneers. Uh, sort of grew up in sort of somewhat suburban, but a little, you know, city-ish. And they were back to the landers. They sort of uh, were a part of a movement. They went to the country and bought a whole bunch of woods and built our own houses and ponds. And so, yeah, they just, they were very much about uh, self-sufficiency and, and living off land and gardening and health food and, and that kind of stuff, animals, and very conscious of energy. We had uh, we were pretty off grid. We heated with heated with wood. We had a, a what's called a water jacket in the furnace, and so and a spring, and so and then various forms of kerosene lanterns and wood stoves and the like. And so electricity could go out as it often did back in the 70s in Quebec, and uh, we had hot running water and and warmth and food and everything everything sort of worked. So. Yeah, I definitely came to it, honestly. So it's not a big surprise. And my mom has been vegetarian for decades. And so parents, I guess. I can see that it left a lasting impact on you. It's really interesting. So are you continuing that uh, sort of that trend of like uh, self-sufficiency when it comes to energy uh, in your home at the moment? I own a home in Maui, and that is uh, entirely off-grid. So under my last company, Life Edited, we put that together. And so it's got uh, full solar setup, 52 kilowatt hours, batteries, uh, blue iron. They're awesome. And yeah, full, uh, I don't know, we have, a, I think, a around 16 kilowatt system on the roof. We have water catchment. We have composting toilets. We have electric cars gardens, uh, 50 different kinds of fruit trees. So so that place is very, very self-sufficient. I'm uh, renting it to people now. So I'm just a landlord, really. And mm -hmm. I have a rental here in Venice, which I've sort of done my best, but it's a bit it's a bit frustrating to, to be honest because I can't. So I've got renewable energy via for my electricity. That's easy to do with the LADWP. And, uh, but it's got natural gas. Uh, which I basically have sh I've shut shut off all the heaters and I bought electric ones so I could run them on renewable energy and and then I even took off the knobs on my gas stovetop and shut off the gas and and the pile the uh, the uh, electric bits to it so it's not dangerous and I put a put a nice big piece of wood on top and 
and then plugged in uh, two of the $50 IKEA uh, induction burners. So I'm trying to stay away from the gas as much as possible, but it's not my house. So, uh, so I have things like a gas water heater, which I would love to not have and replace with electric heat pump, but not to the uh, landlord's advantage. And that's the challenge. So I wanted to speak to you about Carbonaz a little bit. Obviously, interesting name. Can you tell me where did the idea come from? When did you start it? And what's it about? So the Carbonauts is somewhat of an, in a way, an obvious uh, continuation of what I started with Treehugger. And Treehugger.com started 2004, still going strong. So however, was that 17 years later or something? Billions of pages and really helped. The, the objective was to mainstream green. And I think it's, it's in some way certainly helped. So Treehugger is a sustainable site and it sort of had all of these media sites, basically, right? The main idea with Treehugger.com was to mainstream green. And really, the, because the challenge at that time was I saw this incredible green world. I, I could put it together in my head. I'd read, done a lot of reading. I'd done a lot of researching around the Internet. I could see it, but most people couldn't. And so we really needed a place to sort of bring it together and to make it a, a positive, exciting vision of the future, which it was and still is. And most of the media at that time was just fairly negative and just not designed forward. Like literally they had a websites that didn't even have pictures. It was sort of hippie focused and love the hippies, but it's a really small part of our society. And so I wanted it to, to cross over and to be a big thing. So that was the so it was about architecture and product design and fashion and food and environmental news and exciting and positive and inspiring and we were really aggressive at one point we had like 85 different people writing for the site so we were, we were pumping out a lot of content and uh, yeah so that was the main drive with treehugger and it continues to do that and it's, it's an important site and terrific newsletter and, and lloyd alter who i hired back then is still there still killing it how many editors do you have for that for treehugger.com the team is not huge at this point. I'm not even sure because I, I, I have no official involvement because I sold it to Discovery actually in 2007. So it's, it's been a minute. But they are now part of IAC. Uh, and uh, my friend Neil Vogel actually runs the division, which is great. I think they're taking really good care of them. So I'm really happy about that. It's always nice to sell a company. I've done that a couple of times. But if it continues, that is just so nice and so rewarding. And so it's, I'm so happy that they're still going strong. From treehugger.com, um, after that, like what led you to starting Carbon Arts? And can you tell us a little bit about Carbon Arts and uh, what the site is about? Absolutely. Uh, so what led me there was basically one, one thing that the environmental movement has done very well in the last 30 years or so has been to create awareness. Uh, but awareness, unfortunately, uh, the climate doesn't care about our awareness. So the climate doesn't care about what you say, what you post on social media, what your feelings are. The climate cares about physics, basically, whether you were putting a bunch of carbon into the air or not. And so... Uh, we need to take this incredible amount of awareness and move it into action. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't suffice to have a whole bunch of great solutions out there if no one takes them up. And so, uh, but the reality of moving from awareness to action is that uh, even for someone like myself uh, or you who spent some time and has some knowledge in this department, when you sit down to figure out what to do, in what order and how to do it, it's very complicated because there's a ton of information 
There's a ton of misinformation. And the challenge is basically moving from awareness to action. When you sit down and try to figure this out, it's really tough. For regular people with lives, with jobs, with significant others, with kids, you're just going to throw your arms up. It's just, it's too much. And so people don't do it. And so the Carbonauts mission is very simple. We want to help people move from awareness to action by doing the heavy lifting. And so we make it easy. And so we have determined that the, we focus on the big five, which I can get into. They're five most impactful things to reduce your footprint. And we've made a very effective course. We'll offer a whole bunch of them, but currently it's a five hour course, an hour a week for five uh, weeks. So five hours total. And we do it on Zoom and it's live. And there's some interaction, polls and sharing. And we run a carbon calculator at the beginning and at the end, and we have leaderboards. So it's fun. We give people the information that they need. And really importantly, we give them the community and the accountability to get it done. And so the, the, the challenge with many of these online courses is that like five or 10% of them actually get complete. And we all sort of fundamentally get this. Our visions of our future selves are rosier than they should be for most of us. So we envision us sitting down to do the course every Tuesday night and it just doesn't happen. And so the fact that we do a live cohort base is really important. And so we end up getting people reduce their footprints by 20, 30, 40%. So really significant uh, and they love it. We, uh, we survey them after every class, a net promotion survey, and we do uh, great. And so uh, that is the Carbonauts. We're basically helping people move from awareness to action. If our listeners are interested in uh, signing up, like what do they do? They just go to the carbonauts.com? Yeah. So we thecarbonauts.com and we, we have listings there. We launch new, we call them missions, uh, usually at the beginning of every month and yeah, sign up and then it's an hour a week for five weeks. I hope most of our listeners will go and have a look at that. You know, climate change can be overwhelming, even for us. I mean, I've been uh, an environmentalist for so many years now. Uh, it can be complex. I and mean, when it comes to future impacts, there's still a lot of unknowns and while real solutions will require action on a, a global scale there are choices that we can make in our daily life so in your own words can you uh, talk about some things that we can do to cut our carbon footprint yeah absolutely and i should say one thing that's really important here is that i believe there's a sort of a false choice being suggested in other words people will say oh it's uh, the hundred companies or it's the government or it's the system, like it's personal change is nothing to do with it. We disagree with that entirely. We think it's a yes and. A very powerful way to actually get the system to change is to do the personal change. Once, once you start that, that's gonna give you a, a familiarity, an enthusiasm, a knowledge that you can bring to bear as you protest, boycott, politically, you know, go out there and point fingers and, and push to get the system to change. And so that part's really, really important. In terms of what you can do, the, the big five that we focus on, there's of course a long list, uh, but we think it's really important to understand the scale of things. And so as a very simple example, uh, Peter Kalmus talks about a blogger on a flight to Asia, talking about how their 
plastic water bottle or the reusable water bottle and they're refusing all the other plastic water bottles. He says, great, do that. And also realize that the emissions from your flight to Asia are the equivalent of 100,000 water bottles. So you got to focus on the stuff that, that matters and try to not. And unfortunately, recycling is you know something we want to do for the most part, probably, but there are other really big, bigger fish to fry, which is probably not the analogy to use. Uh, so the big five that we focus on are renewable energy first. That's a big one. So that's getting either solar panels on your house, if that's an option, or buying renewable energy from your utility, buying community solar, um, or at least making efforts to reduce your energy use at home. Uh, electric vehicles, uh, reducing the, if you drive, reducing the miles that you, you drive and uh, particularly the short ones, moving to biking, scootering, walking, etc., And then getting uh, the most efficient car uh, you can get, ideally a full electric vehicle, an EV, or at least a plug-in hybrid, uh, if not a high miles per gallon car. Uh, and then plant-rich diet is important, uh, a little less so from a carbon perspective, but there are other very important, uh, I know you agree with this stuff, ethical, for ethical reasons, pollution, etc., uh, etc. Et so plant-rich diet, uh, composting uh, is something if, if you don't, if you put your organics in the trash, they end up creating methane in the landfill, and there's a very easy thing to, to deal with that, and that's composting, and it's actually kind of fun and builds soil. And then reducing food waste is a great way to save some money and also a great way to reduce emissions. Flying, uh, doing as little of it as possible and optimizing the flights that you do. And then finally offsets, uh, of which there are definitely bad offsets, and but we also believe there are good offsets and they're a good thing to support. So that's the big five. Yeah, um, absolutely great points um, on cutting carbon footprint. Uh, for me, um, obviously, I've actually tried to switch to biking and on foot, most like for most of the things, uh, especially during the COVID, it's kind of easier. But for me, flying less and going plant-based is like major. And in terms of flying, if I can't really avoid uh, flying one way, I, I try and make up for the emissions is to offset them by maybe donating to a sustainable project or, you know, planting trees. That's actually a great uh, idea if you want to offset. There are plenty of them out there, um, organizations that do that. But sometimes the airlines will... Uh, give you this option themselves, ways to offset the carbon footprint. Um, or you can go like a, use a third party things like um, I use like Atmosphere or TerraPass. So there's so many things that we can do to cut our, just to, first of all, to understand uh, what the carbon footprint is. That's really important. So uh, in your own words, can you please talk about that first? What is the carbon footprint? Part of the basis of Carbonauts, perhaps obviously through the name Carbonauts, uh, is our through line is carbon. And so carbon is a really important thing to look at. And so basically uh, climate change, uh, the warming of the planet is because we have a blanket of greenhouse gases surrounding the planet and for hundreds of thousands of years it's been perfect the goldilocks blanket right not too hot not too cold perfect the problem is that as we release greenhouse gases uh, which some of them have carbon in them uh, they end up thickening that blanket and it causes warming and so when we look at you run a carbon calculator uh, it's to determine how much your lifestyle how much it adds to that blanket. 
and it's measured in carbon dioxide equivalents. And so there are a number of different gases, methane, ozone, etc. Sort of sum it up by talking about carbon. And so uh, your carbon footprint is many of the things that you do, driving a car, getting in a plane, uh, buying electricity that is made from burning uh, fossil fuels, um, creates, creates carbon and that goes into the air. And so your carbon footprint is that amount and it really varies. So the average uh, US, uh, average American is around 17 tons. The average European is around seven because they have way more efficient lifestyles. Uh, and then the average Indian is more like two, two and a quarter. And so it varies widely. And uh, people say that we probably, the fair amount would be around three tons. So we have, uh, we have a long way to go. And uh, the good news there is that you, it's hard to get down to three, uh, but you can, uh, the average person can reduce their footprint pretty significantly. Uh, often while saving money or even uh, making money over time. So do you actually have a tool um, on carbon arts to calculate your footprint or is it training to like teach people how to cut carbon footprint? How does it work? So we, Berkeley has a carbon calculator called the Cool Climate Calculator. And so we work with them. Uh, so we help people uh, go through it and really understand, get good data out of it by putting, uh, answering it correctly. And that gives us a baseline, and that's how we sort of measure uh, success in the course. So they under, people understand where they start from, and then we measure at the end, and we even project forward six months um, to, to, to leave some time for them uh, getting even more done. So yeah, cool climate calculator. In addition to changing our you know, day-to-day habit, being more conscious about how we live, there are things that we can do as citizens, right? Or using our rights to vote or anything else. There are so many things that we can do that will sort of make this most change or impact that we want for the, uh, for in terms of climate action. Can you talk about like, what are some things that we can do uh, people want to fight climate change? We're focused on our, our big five course at this point, so sort of personal change, but we're going to be developing courses for exactly that, for more for systemic change. But uh, in general, yeah, voting is critical at all levels, not just sort of presidential, but uh, voting is, of course, something. I would say one of the most powerful things is just getting involved locally. Is there something that you can get passionate about in your local area? So is it that there aren't any farmers markets and you want to get that going? Is it that there's no composting program or or getting involved in your community gardens or trying to see about getting a community solar project to get started? There are a lot of different sort of specific things, but I would try to find like, what are you passionate about? Is it renewable energy? Is it electric vehicles? Is it diet stuff, food waste, uh, animals or conservation, protecting areas? Or, you know, is there a, like here we have, uh, we have these like oil storage places like right near sort of important wetlands and where people live. And so trying to get that stuff out. So, you know, part of it can be creating new things. Part of it can be pushing against things that exist that, that shouldn't. Water is obviously a big one. So, yeah, I think the main thing is try to find something you can get passionate about. Absolutely. Find the thing that you're passionate about. A lot of people come at it from fashion point of view, labor and uh, some come at it from you know environmental uh, point of view. Some come at it from um, social justice. You know, so find the thing that you're passionate about and take it from there. Uh, 
some things that that I, uh, you know, when I started off, like things that I started was like one of the key thing about climate change is like understanding the science behind climate change, because if you start there, it will actually give you the confidence and help you talk to your friends and family and even the local reps uh, to um, talk about climate change and also kind of get involved in uh, you know various things that you can do in your city like or town to help reduce the carbon footprint. Um, there's so many, as you said, you know, community gardens, uh, green adopting green energy policy. There's so many things that we can do. And another thing that really worked for me was um, joining a local climate group or a meetup because it helps you really understand and uh, and keep up with what's happening in your community so that way you know uh, what, what you need what the community needs and so we can go you can help uh, from there that's a great point like joining a local group is really smart and I guess the other thing I didn't mention is like protesting if you like sunrise movement great group to join if you, if you want to do that but but yeah, get just get involved in your local, find out what's going on and, and where you can make a difference. And then there's some great media like here in L.A. Uh, what's the there's a reporter from L.A. Times that writes uh, an email newsletter, which will, name will come to me. But anyway, there's a, there's often some like newsletter that really gives you the local stuff. That's also a great way. I mean, local is just such an important thing to focus on. So I'm wondering, do you have um, any strategies, because you've been doing this for so long, any strategies or ideas to reach out to uh, the population of people that are not really interested in, you know, sustainability or like, you know, carbon footprint or climate change? Do you have any strategies to uh, reach that those populations? Sammy Roth for the LA Times writes something called The Boiling Point. I wish we were at the point where the focus needed to be on trying to get sort of climate change deniers to change their mind. But honestly, I think we're so far away from that and you'd be you'd be more successful just building social norms. We need to get the people that believe to make the changes. And the number of people who are believe that they're green and but yet don't have renewable energy at home. Uh, like I, I think we've got so much work to do just on those that are aware that proclaim to care that just haven't done the stuff. So I don't think we need to focus there. And I think it's, uh, you know, it's very part of our, our challenge here. And it's very human is we just want to point fingers at everyone else. And I think the powerful way uh, to we absolutely need to do some of that. And we need to put pressure, but like start with yourself. L.A. as an example, they, you can get renewable energy in about 10 minutes. Uh, via your utility, less than 1% have it. Electric cars feels like a big thing. If you drive, it's a few percent. Like it's really small. Uh, you know, plant-rich diet, like there's just there, there's so much stuff that's actually totally accessible. And just do that, build the social norms, and that's what's going to slowly, we're going to build momentum. And then you've got a lot of people living in a new way, and that's when the rest will come. But trying to fight with climate change deniers, uh, particularly when you haven't done the stuff yourself, it's just, uh, I, I just, I don't, I don't like that approach. Apart from Cognards and Treehugger.com, um, I, I understand you have uh, some other exciting things happening. Would you like to share with us what's happening at the moment? Oh, other projects? Uh, I've actually just, I'm 
100% focused on Carbonaut. So that is absolutely my focus. I have a little side business that my mom and sister run. I designed a ceramic cup. It looks like a paper cup. It's a iconic uh, New York uh, souvenir kind of thing. It's in the MoMA store. And uh, um, so I have, you know, very, very small focus on that at times, but they really run the business. So, yeah, so it's all carbonauts all the time. But, you know, the challenge with this is like humanity has evolved. Civil rights, women's rights, animal rights, like it's, it has generally, with some blips, generally been heading in the right direction, which is awesome. And so, you know, if we had 200 years, we'd be set on climate change. We, we would figure it out. But the problem is we don't. So there's a real speed element. So uh, I'm trying to push pretty hard on, on the carbonauts. And uh, if part of our theory of change is... Um, there's a woman named Erica Chenoweth from Harvard, and uh, she studied 100 social movements from the past 100 years or so, and determined that if 3.5% of the population rise up and protest regularly, that's when a government will fall. And we're not radical uh, radicals that they want to topple the government, but that number is small. And so we believe that if we can get a few, 3-4% of the population living a compelling low footprint lifestyle, that that's what will uh, cause the government to notice, corporations to notice, other citizens to notice, and that's when society mobilizes and we get the policies that we need, we get the investment that we need, we get the products and services that we need, so the rest of the population population can flip. And so uh, that's 12 million people in the U.S., and so that's what we're gunning for. Um, we're trying to get a movement of 12 million people, and we think that's what will make the difference. And, we can do this, like we can absolutely do this. We have most of the technology, most of the knowledge. We just need the will to do this. And it can really start with just everyday people just changing the way and sending a message to the market and to the government that we want something different. And, and you, you, we've seen some successes, uh, like electric cars are, it's happening. Renewable energy, it's happening. Plant, uh, plant replacement, uh, meat replacement foods, it's, you know, it's, it's really starting to happen. So we just got to make that happen. So Graham, uh, now we're getting into the uh, quick fire round. We like to ask some questions to get to know you a little bit. How does that sound to you? Sounds great. Okay, great. Here we go. What's your uh, favorite place to eat out? Favorite place to eat out? Uh, wow, that's always a tough one. Uh, I'm just going to go off the top. I quite like uh, Uovo. It's like a pasta place and just they make some really good stuff. Or maybe Roberta's Pizza. Oh, that's pretty good too. I don't know. This is probably a long list. I like, I like a lot of food. Favorite outdoor activity? Probably surfing. I'm a big water guy. I've done kite, a lot of kite surfing, which I quite enjoy. I play a lot of beach volleyball and I hike, and but surfing is pretty hard to beat, I would say. Favorite author? I probably have a longer list, but I like this book. The author's name is Robert Gruden, and I'm just... Time in the Art of Living. I knew it was close. Fantastic book. This guy, Robert Gruden, I so much loved it that I literally tracked him down and ended up making friends with him. And I just... Uh, that's one that comes to mind. It was very... Uh, just looks at time in a beautiful way. And I found it very calming and, and inspiring. Uh, recent books uh, related more related to this podcast. I really like the overstory book in theory about trees but really it's a it's a that makes it sound like it might be boring and it's anything but it's incredible beach or mountains <laughs> that's the million dollar question 
that's probably why I live in LA and why, why I lived in Maui. And the reason that the, is they're both. So it's often, uh, yeah, I play beach volleyball and then I try to go for a hike or go surf or go surfing. So I'm like yeah, constantly choosing between the two. So I can't choose between the two. I love, I love, I mean, it's not about the beach for me. It's about the water. Something about you that surprises people. I can still do a pretty good backspin. Interesting. <laughs> That's awesome. Favorite animal? Also very difficult, but I have a, I quite like the humpback whale. And I've been quite close to them a lot on the paddleboard in Maui. And I, I'm, yeah, like there's something about the them when they're singing and you can hear them underwater and they're pretty incredible. So I, I'm, I'll, I'll, I don't know, humpback whales. Fiction or nonfiction? I love them both, but I seem to read more, a lot more nonfiction. What's your one guilty pleasure? Probably will look back and be amazed that I was sort of able to do it. But yeah, I still eat some meat and um, my body seems to like it. But I, I'm a weekday vegetarian in general. Um, but yeah, so my guilty pleasure is, is I try to I try to be like weekday, weekday vegetarian plus, which means basically on the weekends also try to steer clear of, of beef, lamb and cheese. But yeah, sometimes the, they just unfortunately become very good at making hamburgers. And so it's hard for me to avoid that at all times. So that's probably my guilty, guilty pleasure. Favorite city or um, country you've traveled to? Sadly, from an environmental footprint, I've been to 90. So uh, there's a lot of choices there. That's a very difficult question for me, uh, for whatever reason, Vietnam is coming into my head. Um, I quite think that thought that was pretty amazing and interesting. I mean, India was fascinating. I don't know. It depends on the parameters. I, I, I'm so into traveling, and I, I love. Uh, I'm very excited to go to Nepal at some point. So I think that will be my favorite, maybe with the tie with New Zealand. But. Wonderful. Um, so, Graham, um, some final questions we like to ask all of our guests. Is there anything you've read, watched, or listened to, like a book or a documentary or podcast that you really love and would like to recommend to our listeners? I think I'll go back to the overstory. I think, uh, and, and 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 fiction, which is, I guess, which is sort of great. Yeah, I, I just think that falling in love with nature is just is gonna it will really help things and. and so I think like that, yeah, that was beautiful. recent beautiful things that I think the, the, my octopus, the teacher, whatever documentary is also just like connecting with the other sentient beings uh, is, is a good thing, which obviously is very conflictual with my previous statement about eating hamburgers. And I, I recognize that, but I, I, yeah, I think uh, falling in love with nature is a really good thing. And those are two examples of book and a doc that really can help people do that. Great recommendations. Um, if you could advise our listeners uh, to shift or change um, and, and be more mindful about something, maybe a habit today that can um, lead to a more conscious living, uh, what would that be? Well, it would be to try to focus on the big ones because that matter. And, you know, one of the biggest ones, one of the easiest ones, which uh, generally, unfortunately, costs a little extra, but is signing up for renewable energy from your utility. It takes about 10 minutes. You might have community solar in your area, which might actually drop your bill. And so very big fans of community solar, but it's not always available. So I think uh, those two are really big. And then 
impactful like flying if you can skip a flight and you sometimes can skip a flight by stacking trips putting two trips together so you have three legs instead of four kind of thing so that and you still have all the same experience those are uh, some you notice how you've asked me specific questions and i've given you multiple answers every time great advice i mean i, I love uh, what you just said and this has been such a great conversation graham thank you so much for joining me today thanks for having me it was fun Thank you so very much for listening to this episode. Next week, we'll be back with another special guest. Do make sure you subscribe, download, share the link, and please leave a review to get the word out about the podcast. And you can also share on your Instagram, tag me at Alia and at Worthwhile to be featured on our page. We appreciate your support from all of us here at Worthwhile. I'm Alia Morrow. I'll see you next week. Have a beautiful day.